Hi there, and welcome back to The Fuse Show. Today I'm joined by Arkady Baltzer. He's the founder and CEO of PlutoView in Boston, Massachusetts. He's, um, he's turning software into a collaborative experience. Thanks for joining us on the show. Hi, David. Thank you for having us. Uh, really exciting. Um, yeah. So before we get started, just for the sake of our audience, can you give us a little more background on PlutoView and what you're trying to solve? Absolutely. So we're building a co-browsing solution. Uh, we're actually one of the first ones to start working in that space in the technological sense of the word, not in the kind of, you know, market uh, sound of the word. Word definition, because co-browsing did exist before that. When we're talking about customer support, you know, giving agents the ability to see what's going on your screen uh, to kind of solve customer issues more efficiently. We're talking about a revolution in the way we uh, take on remote collaboration. What I mean by that is think of all the applications that we use for work. I mean, search engines is the ideal example because they have everything, right? They were built, initially built to be used by a single person. And it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the world that we live in today, it's different. And what PlutoView does is we virtualize applications, which means that we move them to the cloud and we enable an unlimited number of people to collaborate in those applications, which means, which means that you're basically using your go-to search engines like Google Chrome the same way you would use Google Docs, hmm. and if that makes sense. How did you come about like discovering this problem in the first place and then wanting to make the efforts to solve it? I mean, this is massive. We, uh, the whole problem rose from the education space and we started working on this even before the first wave of COVID. So before the first lockdowns, before the pandemic hit us, um, because a lot of work that was uh, relating to classes, uh, to projects was done, be was done remotely and me, I, I, was in, I was in school back then. I was in, uh, in BU. I mean, I was faced with this issue all the time. Hmm. It's, it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's the problem of screen sharing not being enough. I mean, you're in your dorm room, you're preparing for a presentation, but you've got to do billion gazillion different tasks at, at the same time. And what's more scary is you've got to do it collaboratively. Hmm. But screen sharing has only one shareable screen, right? So you're doing one thing at a time. So, so that everybody can see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that's good, but it's good for demonstration, but it does really nothing for effective collaboration. And was actually, there was actually a class we were pre preparing for an economics presentation. What we did, it was like four of us or five of us, I, I don't exactly remember, but each of us had two separate devices on the table with two different Skype accounts, right? Open at the same time, just so we could have two separate Skype sessions go on at the same time. We had, you know, the actual deck on one, screen with like comments and stuff like that and research going on on the other screen hmm. incredibly incredibly horrible process that nobody should go through but it gave us the effectivity that we needed hmm. at, at that time and that was the day that i realized look something needs to change screen sharing is good but we're in a different world now hmm. and then when you started um building this like what was what, what was the mvp that you had in mind and how has it changed from where it was then to where it is today Absolutely. It was actually, it was actually very close to what we have now. Hmm. It was, the idea was like, look, let's take the applications that we use and somehow make them virtual. And there's, in the technological sense, there's few directions that you could take. Uh, I mean, 
obviously at this time we're already not alone in this space and there's a lot of amazing companies working on co-browsing and there's wonderful there's many different directions that you can take you could you know build special screen sharing protocols that are you know innovative mm-hmm. that are not the old screen sharing that we're used to you could go the route that we're going which is full-on virtualization route building cloud cloud architecture that could support you know tens and hundreds of applications and user sessions at the same time. That's a whole different route because basically what we're doing is over time, we're going to be accumulating a library of virtual applications. That's not just search engines. Mm-hmm. Obviously it's open source technology at a time, just at this time, just because it's easier and simpler right. search engines, visual studio code, right? All those tools. Uh, but eventually we're, we, we are going to be talking with for-profit applications and, uh, Obviously, this is going to be a. This is going to take a more of a kind of a marketplace approach with virtual applications being the the major thing. Uh, but this is, you know, long way from now. The initial product was search engine that's virtual. That was the MVP. Basically, make a search engine inside a search engine. So basically, uh, from your Chrome or Firefox or Safari, whatever you use, you go into Pluto View website and you open up a whole separate browser mm. in in that. And so basically the way our first MVPs looked like is you as one user would be able to kind of type in PlutoView.com, launch a virtual Firefox session, and that tab, right, that tab in his Safari browser, Chrome browser, whatever it is, would be that virtual session of Firefox. His teammate uh, would launch their own Firefox session and share that with the person. Mm-hmm. Now there's tabs in your browser with diff- with two different Firefox sessions. You're switching between tabs, you get the full experience of multiple devices in front of you. That was the initial MVPs that we were going after. Uh, and we were actually kind of successful. I mean, we launched in Product Hunt, became number one product of the week. That's, all, that's really product. cool. Right, I mean, that was amazing. We're actually preparing for a relaunch coming up in a month or so. That's going to be awesome. And uh, I'll get to that in a little bit because we're relaunching with our API thing. And that's that's phenomenal. That's massive. That's actually the most interesting thing. And something that I'm getting to right now is we launched on Product Hunt as a workspace, right? Bringing that whole thing to remote teams, right? You could launch your virtual applications, share those within people in your team, collaborate effectively, finish tasks, finish sprints. And then we were like, look, what do we really want to get out of this? We want to change the way people collaborate remotely. So we need to take an approach that is more wholesome, that is more holistic. We need to change this. We need to solve the problem more wholesomely. And that's that's when we realized, look, we need to take the API approach. We need to bring this amazing technology that we built as an integration to all the other solutions Mm -hmm. and platforms that are dealing with collaboration and that need this extra next step into remote collaboration. And that's that's basically what we're doing right now. Pluto View is a co-browsing API integration. Uh, currently we have Firefox virtualized. Uh, I mean, we're working with phenomenal guys from teamflow.com, uh, teamflowhq.com, hallway.com. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not in a position to give any other names because we're still in talks, but right, there's, there's a lot of demand because we see that the world that we're living in is changing. You know, all the Facebook, all the other places that we used to collaborate in, right, are becoming more and more synchronous. Hmm. Uh, Because that's a really interesting thing because in early 2010s, we were basically in a situation where the whole remote collaboration market could go two directions. And interestingly, it kind of went both, but we'll get into that. It It could become more and more asynchronous or it could become more and more synchronous. Right. And there's 
Let's do both, right? There's enormous benefits to both. Now we realize that, look, the way we thought synchronous collaboration is, it's not, it, it's limited to screen sharing, limited to single user applications. That's just not the reality anymore. So basically what we're doing here is we're saying, look, there's these two approaches, synchronous and asynchronous. The question could be much more interesting. Hmm. So what led you to want to go down the path of virtual applications on the cloud versus just a like streaming of a user's uh, call it like whatever they see visually as well as sharing keyboard and mouse control? Right. Because uh, I mean, we're waiting for a revolution. We're, we're trying to make a revolution here. And what I mean by that is, look, the age of downloadable software and single user software has come to pass. I mean, it's about making things more accessible because it, it's ultimately it's about progress because progress literally depends on the tools you have in your arsenal, the access you have to those tools mm -hmm. and brains, other people that you could share those tools with. That's literally like, that's an equation for progress. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that's how you move forward. Um, the way to make this a thing in the remote environment is to think broader. So solving the, this problem by, you know, making another screen sharing protocol that solves the problem just partially because really the key and the core of the problem lies deeply in the way we're used to structuring our work life and the way we're used to interacting with applications. And that's basically single use applications and downloadable software. Hmm. We want to move applications to the cloud. We want to make them, you know, hundreds of times more accessible. You, you wouldn't have to download it on your computer. You could just call it on demand from the website, right? And allow other people in, right? Because we're used to sitting in the same office, five people at the same table, five devices in front of them. You could look over the shoulder of your partner, right. type in, vice versa. That's how you get things done, you know, effectively. We don't want to waste time doing st stupid things. We want to get them done quickly, right. you know, experience all that other stuff. Uh, that's what we're doing. We're making that happen in the remote environment. And that's basically, that's why virtualization over anything else, because it's about building the environment that allows that to happen in, in a way that actually works. So it's building the remote, the virtual environment, building the network. That's what we're about. And that's why the, the, the decision to pivot into the API space was both so timely and so wise, hmm. just because initially we prepared for this. We built everything for scalability. There's actually a bunch of technical things that we could get into because virtualization is also not the limit. There's many other ways. There's many ways within virtualization that you can structure it. Mm. And uh, there is a way that everybody does it. And there's a way that nobody does it. And the way that nobody does it, we're, we're taking that route just because it's literally the most innovative route. And it's, uh, it basically has to do with containers instead of, you know, full on virtual machines. It's, it's about orchestration. It's about getting the most out of virtual resources and actually planning them out accordingly. Uh, so it's basically about scalability. And we went into solving this problem with this in mind. So the whole pivot into API and let's solve the problem more holistically was just a thing that made sense. What about scenarios where um, the demands of the software is generally relatively high and the latency between a computer and a, I guess, cloud solution is, uh, performance prohibitive, for example, scenarios of like, I don't know, video editing, image editing, uh, like compiling large projects of code, like what, how do you, how do you see your solution fitting into those like, use cases? 
I mean, absolutely. That, I actually have a friend who's building a um, building a online video editing tool that has this Figma aspect to it, this remote kind of Figma type mm-hmm. collaboration aspect to it already inbuilt. And so, so this this problem is also a thing, hmm. right? People are so this people are doing phenomenal job at, at solving it as well. Uh, um, so to to answer your question, it's I mean it's a work in progress, right? The reason we took the special technological route that we took with virtualization and uh, orchestration and all that is to ease exactly this thing that we're talking about. It's to make it more seamless. Uh, there is latency. Mm-hmm. That's a thing, right? But we have. An, an incredible team of engineers that are working on making this a non-existent issue. Hmm. And a lot of this has to do with, uh, with the way Linux works. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the way actually virtualization in itself works. Uh, we're restructuring a lot of things and, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we have some patents come out of this just because um, it's, 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 it's a massive problem. Hmm. And it's not just a problem for us, the whole latency issue right. with in terms of virtual instances of virtual applications and all, all, all other virtual stuff. This is something we're working on really, really heavy. And a thing that we're actually releasing right now for our customers is where we're actually having three different uh, types of products, which basically three, we call them planets. That's just kind of our corporate jargon, three different types of planets with different memory capacity. Mm. So if, if you know that, look, my platform is driven by video creators and video content publishers. And we know that the use case for them is going to be a lot of online video editing stuff, a lot of stuff that's heavy. Uh, then it's, it's our mission to give them the tools hmm. that allow for that. So that would mean planets that are much more powerful than, uh, the others one would be right. Uh, it, it's about that, but it's a work in progress and, uh, obviously there's a lot of exciting stuff on the technological level that's going to come out out of this. That actually a lot of people will benefit, not not just our industry, not just uh, virtualization for the benefit of remote teams, but also optimizing your CI, CD processes. A lot of things are just going to, there's a lot that's going to come out of this in the next few years, not just from PlutoView, from all the other companies working in the area. Do you anticipate supporting scenarios where, um, like there's other things necessary other than just like memory and CPU? Like what if you need like special hardware to run certain programs. And, uh, is that, is that something you're like trying to consider? Are you trying to tackle the more generalized, um, generalizable case first? Right. You're absolutely correct. We are tackling the most general case first, but that's the beauty of having the whole thing run by on the cloud, because in, in, in the cases that, that you just uh, described, it's about tweaking the cloud architecture, not about tweaking the capacity of your computer. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to get to. And that's what I mean by making things more accessible. Uh, and that's a bigger goal and a more futuristic goal, right? Uh, but the things that, for example, Stadia are doing at Google Studio, uh, Stadio, I think that's the right way to mm-hmm. pronounce it, is amazing. I mean, and, uh, very similar to what we're doing in that sense as well. So I, I hope I answered your question. I guess to elaborate on it, you, you see, I, I'm thinking of industry giants, kind of like Microsoft office and, or like Adobe right. suite where like they have a incentive to, to keep their like ecosystem walled off from others, just because they want to, like, I guess, maximize their profits or keep people or, or their users are simply accustomed to working with software a certain way. And I'm wondering how, um, 
how how you envision the future of collaboration tools with tools like I don't know any of the Adobe programs uh, playing out in the future. And I recognize it's purely speculative, but I'd love to know your thoughts. Right, right. I mean, my count right now, I believe there's 226 companies working in remote space, most of them based in US, and that's startups, mm -hmm. right? Obviously, Microsoft Teams included, right? But that's just me giving you perspective on how various and variant space is. I mean, there's a lot of things being done outside of Microsoft and, uh, and Google and other giants because it's good, right? It's good having all the resources in the world that you would ever need. But bureaucracy uh, is obviously a factor, mm -hmm. not a good factor, especially when we're talking about real technology and innovative technology, because time is a factor, right? You have to be on top of it. You have to right. be quickly. And uh, so, I mean, obviously the, the tendency we see is the giants, you know, buying off this cool new technology from the little guys. But we initially took a different approach. We were like, look, we, we don't want to compete with Microsoft Teams mm -hmm. for, a, I don't know, a, a team from Boeing that's going to be doing some remote project, right? We don't want to be doing that. We want to make the Microsoft experience better and all the other companies experience better. That's that, that was the big thing about moving to, to the integration. Okay. And imagine during this project, you must be collaborating with lots of people remotely yourself, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Most of our team is based remotely. Uh, I mean, I mean, our tech team is scattered through Eastern Europe, US. I mean, we're everywhere. One of the common questions I'll ask in the podcast is like, what features do you know how to like, or what features do you, do you prioritize in terms of into building into the platform? But I recognize, I guess, if you're using it internally, that, that gives you a lot of insights into what people want. Right, right. I mean, and we're fortunate enough to work with very uh, active teams like TeamFlow. I mean, so there's, there's no shortage of feedback, <laughs> definitely. How, how, what was the first piece of feedback that you received? Like when you first had this idea, I imagine you like shared the idea verbally before you built it and then you put it into some, yeah. some like smaller community before you put on product. Like what was the process of that? It, it was, and getting back to what we started from, I mean, we, we initially launched in the kind of education space and uh, I thought that, look, I was, I mean, I was crazy enough to think that, look, we're going to go to MIT and Boston University and say, guys, you need this. And they would buy this from us, right? And unfortunately, life doesn't work that way, especially with educational institutions. I mean, sales cycles are, you know, six months, if not more, nine months. I think nine months is in kind of an average sales cycle there. And then we moved to digital academies because, I mean, I mean, the use case was always there. I mean, look, there's people studying, mm. there's people collaborating. Uh, I mean, what students are doing, that's basically the definition of active collaboration. So we're, well, that's what we're here for. The digital academies, you know, coding schools, all those places. We started talking to them, uh, uh, tutoring platforms. And uh, the biggest feedback that we actually got from a tutoring platform was, guys, you have to start working on an integration because we don't want our students moving from our internal platform to some other internal platform. Mm -hmm. We want to we wanna have this. We want to have this technology integrated into our platform because obviously a lot of the, a lot of you know tutoring schools they have either their in, in, internal products pre-built or they're or using products that they're satisfied with and we're not trying to replace the whole paradigm of remote collaboration right. which is you know messaging which is you know video conferencing there's so many different aspects we're just about this whole this collaboration thing we're just about making the applications that you use for work actually collaborative so 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 um, yeah. So I, I recognize you started slightly before COVID. So you have a little bit of data pre-COVID and a lot of data 
during COVID? Like, how do you see internally how, how COVID has affected your teams? Like, I don't know, either velocity, uh, prog adoption, et cetera. I mean, it changed everything. COVID changed uh, everything in a sense of ultimate acceleration. Uh, I mean, we see in, in, in what year that has passed, year and something from the beginning of COVID, we see, you know, tens of companies thinking about this space, you know, doing incredible things in this space. And obviously the, the spark of kind of creativity in this space, uh, the, the effort, the attention the space got, I mean, that's phenomenal. In a sense of what, like, like, look, remote collaboration was always a thing. If we look at, you know, Google searches graphics from late 2008, we'll see that remote collaboration searches was always, was always alive. Hmm. It was always growing. Obviously in 2020, we see a spike, uh, but it doesn't disturb the, the general tendency. It, it was always going to be so. COVID just took a giant projector, right? And just put it on, on this issue. And we, we, we saw how much, how much else we could do to solve this. Hmm. Uh, and that's the biggest thing that COVID did. Obviously COVID is a horrible thing. It, I mean, it took lives, it, it, it changed the way we travel. It changed a lot of things, but it also showed us there's a lot of empty spaces in the way we work. There's a lot of inconsistencies in the way we work. And obviously that remote collaboration was always a thing. And I, it's, this is my firm belief that a lot of remote teams and founders of remote companies only during COVID have figured out that, look, we've been doing something wrong hmm. just because only then you kind of, you actually feel this, you see, because I mean, we, all of us have engineers based remotely. Did we ever think about, I mean, except big companies that actually, you know, put in a lot of money for, into that kind of stuff, but did we ever think about how do we engage them? Right. Uh, it, is, is work engaging for them? Hmm. Is it as exciting for them as it is for the people that are in the office next to you? All those things, I mean, I doubt we ever thought about, or at least thought about enough to do something about it, hmm. right? And that's the biggest thing that COVID did. Once you got the product hunt feedback, was that the point where you're like, I have to commit my my next few years to this? Is that, the, is that what gave you the confidence or were you confident before the product hunt feedback? I was confident before okay. because we did a lot of things before product hunt feedback. I mean, we, we, I mean, we launched pilots with tutoring academies and we, we've got incredible feedback from teachers, remote teachers, uh, from actually it teams trying to collaborate. So we had a, a couple of interesting pilots. What product hunt changed is, I mean, I saw that this is going to be big, that, that was the I day see. I realized, look, this is going to be big. Uh, and I guess the level of seriousness changed. Uh, the level of stress obviously changed, <laughs> the level of seriousness changed, uh, but nothing drastic. It was, it was, it was always going to be that hmm. it was, it was always there. Cause, cause I mean, the, the day I came up with the idea of Pluto view, I knew that this is going to change a lot of things, especially in the way we collaborate. And yeah. Once you had the idea, how'd you acquire your first call like 10 users? Ooh, uh, it was difficult. I mean, obviously the most difficult part was to even begin explaining what, what we're building and what they're going to be getting out of this. Cause the first thing was like, okay, but, but how is this different from screen sharing? <laughs> wait, wait. 
people used to screen sharing. Yeah, yeah. And then you go into like this 30 minute conversation explaining that this is absolutely not the same thing as screen sharing, that it's completely this new thing that you have all these other options that you could do with this tool. You could actually collaborate remotely. Think of Google Docs, all that stuff. Um, it was a difficult process, but uh, obviously Product Hunt was a big thing because, I mean, we sp spiked in terms of inbound almost initially. And uh, I mean, I believe hallway.com also building an amazing thing for uh, students, basically kind of a digital classroom uh, platform, really cool thing. They found us that way. A lot of companies found us that way. That was actually how we thought, look, I mean, it seems that all these companies need us more than, than, the, single, than the single users. Let's do the API. Um, it's always difficult. It's difficult to find the first customers because because it's 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 not just about finding the first customers. It's about finding your market fit. Right. It's about finding, finding your ground because I'm right. You're selling to people and they feel through the bullshit. They see through the bullshit. So unless you find your ground and you feel like look, you are bringing something that they need, you will fail. So it's important to find your ground know what you're doing, know that it's needed. So I'm a big believer in the whole sprint thing. So before, before you close your first customer, you should already be talking to 20 different customers, right. potential customers, figuring, figuring, figuring out what you got to do. So it's a, it's a work in process. And the biggest thing is that, look, if you're in a B2B space, never disregard partnerships, never right. disregard, never disregard, you know, small companies because it might feel just like, like a little network thing. Like you're talking to someone, that person might become your first customer. That's always possible. Always be open to those things. I haven't, I just had an enormous conversation with, uh, uh, enormous for my, for my profit. Cause I got a lot out of it with Alexander Galkin, founder of Computera. They're an amazing company doing all these great things. You could read about them. Amazing, amazing company. They're going to be a unicorn, no doubt. They're almost, I think they're almost already a unicorn. I'm not sure. Uh, but Alex said, look, you're closing your first customers. And I, we were actually discussing the pricing model. And I was like, how, what's the best way I should structure our pricing model early on? It was like, look, stop giving a shit about pricing model. Doesn't matter. It does throw it away, throw it away. Take it all up on the individual basis with each customer. Mm -hmm. Take it on the case level, uh, sell to each customer, do what you got to do to sell to each customer. Don't think about a unified general pricing right. model, sell, sell and sell, do what you got to do to sell. That's ultimately hmm. the thing. So if I'm understanding it correctly, you got a lot of your early users inbound. Is that right? All, all of our early users inbound generated huh. early customers, okay. not all early users. Cause there's a big difference, yeah, yeah, right? Okay. Especially. Yeah to be API, yeah. all of our early customers are inbound generated gotcha. and that's pioneer.app. Also an amazing thing. I'll, any, anyone that's early on, that's looking out to, to test their product, see if their idea is good. Look up pioneer.app. It's a online based accelerator started by Daniel Gross when he left YC. Hmm. It's a phenomenal experience. Uh, if you get, it's basically structured like a competition. So you actually get to test out your idea every week. You get feedback on your idea every week and you get to kind of rise in the hierarchy. And eventually if you win, you kind of get into this whole network of other entrepreneurs. Hmm. That was a big thing. Cause I mean, team flow, uh, team flow, we found through pioneer.app. So that was big. Um, how do you discover all these resources? 
Because I recognize, I think you're one of the younger entrepreneurs we've had in the podcast, but you seem quite uh, knowledgeable for your age. Yeah, I mean, I, I started really early. I was one of the first employees at MyWebM.com, uh, building uh, personalization tools for internet, hmm. a Silicon Valley startup. Amazing, amazing team, and phenomenal idea. I mean, we were working closely with, you know, Google, uh, uh, Google VR, because eventually we're actually building this VR space that's for your personalized rooms that would correspond with the content that you uh, kind of intake on the internet. So a TV in your room would be all the saved YouTube channels and Netflix recommendations and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I started on really, really early and, uh, I realized, look, this is something that I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life, uh, building products, uh, coming up with amazing ideas, building teams. Cause honestly, the most exciting thing that I think is the most fun is actually not building products it's building out teams. Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal. That's what you enjoy most. The building talent and uh, growing talent, facilitating. I, that's thing that's most fun. Uh, but so I, I knew early on that that's something that I'm going to be doing. My first startup was that I did by myself with a partner, actually, but, but just like outside of everything else was Miss Hunch. We were working on gamified, gamifying news content. So basically kind of turning your morning routine of news consumption into a game, into a fun game where you could actually predict the outcomes and that kind of stuff. That's, and I was, I was quite young. I was actually applying to university already with a startup. And my, my application was basically driven by this whole thing. Hmm. Look, that's, that's what I'm dedicating most of my time to, uh, like, but like this is going to be big and all that stuff. And they seem to like me. So I entered into the educational academic space. I actually studied philosophy, uh, which is something that I'm extremely passionate about, something that I will return to eventually. Uh, I eventually meet like 20 years from now, I will get my doctorate because it's just a fascinating space, but I came into university with with already a plan. I, I knew that academics is important. I mean, I love philosophy, but all that is for myself hmm. or the career and everything else is, is my startup. And, uh, and for my day number one, I started mixing those together. So I started collaborating with professors. I started, you know, finding young students that wanted internships. And obviously we, we were a startup. We didn't have any money. So, I mean, uh, let's benefit both, right? We give you an internship, you get credits, we get, free work. <laughs> right. So, uh, that's how it started. Hmm. And I mean, step by step, step by step, uh, I, I got myself to Pluto view. And this is basically the thing that I'm stuck with for, I mean, a long, long time. Our exit strategy is IPO. Hmm. I mean, the, like uh, our exit strategy is as big as you could think, because yeah. I, I know I can grow this into a massive thing hmm. because it's, it's meant to be massive. It was the idea is massive. The, I mean, realization is massive. We have phenomenal engineers. We have Neil Raya. Uh, he's not, unfortunately, he's not well at the moment. Uh, he's going to be getting back to us in, in January, but also a phenomenal engineer with wonderful experience from IBM, Microsoft. Um, so it's, look, it's, it's, it's two things that matter if you're young and you're, and you're getting into entrepreneurship, you want to build your first company, you want to build your first startup, two things, just two things matter. Revenue, throw that away. That at this moment, that's irrelevant. It's the team and the product. Mm -hmm. The idea, you could like put the equation sign in front of the, like the idea, the product, same thing, and the team that gets to build it. Mm -hmm. So network, it's again, same thing like with your customers. The, the equipments that you by mistake had, you know, that person 
might be your next big lead, might, might be your next customer, might be your co-founder, mm -hmm. might be your CEO. So it's, it's always important to keep your eyes open, keep your mind open, and uh, don't be afraid. We all have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. You got to start somewhere. Nothing happens like this. You got to start somewhere and uh, go on. I mean, the biggest thing is being persistent, being patient and being persistent. That's it. So you mentioned philosophy as a passion of yours and something I've noticed actually, it's quite a common thing for a lot of entrepreneurs to have a like deep interest in philosophy. Can you elaborate on what you find so interesting? What, which subsection of philosophy captures your interest the most? Absolutely. It's philosophy of science. Uh, and I mean, that correlates with what, what we're building, what we're doing, uh, just because I mean, we, we get into this world without a vision, without a pathway. We, we have to find this pathway ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So all those giant questions, that's what, you know, at least from, for me, that that's what fuels the interest in philosophy. Hmm. Uh, there's big questions that gotta be answered. Sci I mean, philosophy is a science. It's, it's actually a science. It's, uh, uh, it's not as sciencey as physics, but in all of its right, it's as, as science. It's, it's, it's the, it's the science of life. It's the science of the way humans function. It's, uh, in, uh, the way life is structured for us to function. So obviously it, it makes sense why so many entrepreneurs are interested in philosophy because it's the same drive that get us into entrepreneurship, into building new, th new things. It's the same desire, it's the same curiosity that gets us into asking all those questions. And actually people that get, get into other sciences like biology and physics, based, they're basically experiencing the same drive, which is curiosity. Hmm. Is there something you've been learning in the past year that you wish you knew caught like three to five years ago? Um, yes, the importance of accounting, hmm. the importance, the importance of accounting. If it, it, it's, it's at least for, for me, I mean, it's always something that I, that I kind of, you know, I kind of pushed it aside a little bit, right? Really important to, 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 to know accounting, uh, if you really want to have a whole a kind of a global, a, a big picture of what you're doing. Uh, and if you want to have a hand on your pulse all the time, uh, it, it's important. I guess it's, I guess it's actually kind of to go beyond that. There's always these little things that you kind of move aside that, you know, are important. Um, so I guess the biggest thing is start journaling. Don't keep those things away, you know, write them down, elaborate on them. Because the the biggest thing that, that that the biggest you know fuck up the biggest thing that that is is becoming too stale. It's becoming too stale. So in any region of your life, if you feel like you're getting too stale, start journaling, start hmm. writing things down, uh, get yourself a little bit active. That's how you feel better emotionally. So again, answering your question with accounting, but I'm trying to answer it more globally. It's about paying attention to the small things. Hmm. It's about keeping track. Of, 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 of the little things that you think you have to know, the things you, you have to do, keep track of them. Uh, that way you're not going to get stressed. That way you're going mean, to, I hope I'm making sense. That's the biggest thing. Cause, cause the last year, I mean, you're asking me a question, like what is the biggest thing that I learned last year? The last year was just a tornado for me. It was, such, it was a hectic, chaotic tornado of us launching API. Uh, I mean, working on our first big partnerships and so on. So many different things happened. And it's about, you know, still not getting lost in all those things and keeping track of actual growth because actual growth is always structured 
growth. It's always pre-planned growth. It never happens on its own. Hmm. Do you find that you have enough time to balance all these new initiatives for your company as well as like your personal life? Absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no way. No way. And I'm, I'm, as long as I guess, as long as you know the trade-off is there, I guess you have to recognize <laughs> yeah. everything's a trade-off. The trade-off is- yeah. Exactly. The trade-off is there. But I mean, I know amazing people that somehow managed to, you know, have an incredibly fulfilling personal life and still run amazing businesses. Hmm. And I honestly, I think that comes with, with, with experience. I think that comes with experience. Early on, it's difficult to manage, or, but more you get into it, easier it is. Would you say you have any regrets in the past two years of building at your current company? Hmm. Yes, uh, yes, it has to do with building out our team, paying more attention to the soft skills hmm. over hard skills, paying more attention to the person, the person that you're going to be working with. Uh, because that, that I think that's the biggest takeaway is like hard skills that are the things that you can work on. Mm-hmm. If a person has phenomenal soft skills and you know that you're going to be working well with that person, hard skills are going to be you're going to get learned. They're going to, I mean, there's no way they're not going to get learned. They're going to get learned. Soft skills are the things that you're not, that's hard to get in, right? Those skills are difficult to work on. And vision is the binding thing of your team. Your team has to have the same vision, obviously not word for word, but it has to be the same thing. Once that vision is in place, you're bound for success Hmm. because everybody's charged and incentivized to go to that vision, to get to that vision. That's, that's very, it's very important to get people in your team that are not just super amazing engineers or amazing marketers or just incredible genius people. It's about people that want to work with you and that see your vision and that feel that vision and want to get there as much as you want to get there. What are some of the traits that you see in leaders that you look up to that you're trying to build within yourself as well as the next generation of leaders you're trying to raise within your company? Um, open-mindedness. I think that's the most important thing, uh, in any space, in any space. Once, once you're open for growth, you know, growing mind, growth mind, growth mindset, that's the most important thing because it's about, it's about person feeling that spark, you know, that curiosity spark, the same thing that got me into philosophy or into building Pluto view and building on it, growing it because talent genius, you know, that's all an outcome. That's not an initial thing. Right. That's not a, that's not a priori. That, that's not, that's not the spark right. is, the curiosity is. So that's the most important thing. If I see that the person is bright, is that, you know, the eyes are shining, you know, they want to get to work. They're passionate about this. That, that's the most important thing. Okay. And then the last question I have for you is what advice would you give founders or soon to be founders who are watching this episode? Don't expect this, this to be a merry journey. This is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. You have to be incredibly patient, incredibly persistent. But I guess that's the way life is programmed. The way life is programmed, you are bound for success. If you keep on doing it, if you keep on going, persistent and patient, patience and persistence, you're bound for success. And like, listen, that's a life hack. That's the way life is structured and that programmed. 
patience and 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 perseverance. That's it. As a uh, follow up question, uh, where do you where do you draw these principles from? Like, do you have a mentor you learn from? Do you have favorite books? Do you have uh, personal experience that you draw upon? Like, what's your primary source of of learning? Like, large life principles and large business principles. I'm incredibly fortunate in the sense to have an older brother, Artem Fidyaev, founder of Grubber.io. Uh, they found uh, with his wife, they founded Grubber.io, incredible startup, one of the most successful startups in in in, uh, in travel slash uh, kind of businesses. Incredible, incredible thing. They're actually hmm. building. They're actually building out. Um, uh, they're actually building out a fintech branch out of Grubber. Uh, an amazing idea. It's going to be a kind of a banking software. Really cool. Uh, and so obviously he's a big thing. He's a, a lot of things that, that, that I'm going through, he already went through. Hmm. So having a chance to kind of get, get on the phone with him, talk through a lot of things that that's massive. If I, if I would have one mentor in my life, right, that would be him. Hmm. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, right, he founded grabber.io, mywebroom.com. That was his first startup, the startup that I started working with early on. So right. That's. But also books, also books, and doesn't matter if it's nonfiction or fiction. It's learning how to concentrate on a storyline. It's learning how how to give yourself fully to one thing specifically. Mm-hmm. How to immerse yourself either in 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 a storyline, right? That it teaches you life lessons. Books teach you life lessons. Books actually give you wisdom. Mm-hmm. Like like. Like no joke, kids. Books give. I believe it. I love books. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So fiction, nonfiction. Read as much as you want. Read whatever you want. You know, mangas. You know, comics. Whatever it is, read because because it it learns you. It gives you an opportunity to experience life in a different way. Once when you experience life in a different way through somebody else's eyes, you gain wisdom. You gain knowledge. Uh, So. I, I guess answering your question, really fortunate to have my older brother, founder of Grubber.io, and a shit ton of books. <laughs> Do you have a favorite, like one, two, or three books, or most impactful one or two uh, books? Science fiction, love science fiction. Um, Strugatsky Brothers, uh, look them up. Uh, what are they right? The uh, the, science fiction. Okay. Science fiction. They're out of Soviet Union, but. Uh, what it's literally the most deepest it's so philosophical and it's so deep and it's so human hmm. uh doomed city wonderful book that gets into what we are as humans and how we function how we collaborate actually it's a really cool book a uh, snail on the slope one of my favorite books by strugatsky brothers there's really anything that you that you most of their books except for i think were translated into english mm-hmm. so you could find them online uh they're wonderful writers science fiction uh philip k dick uh a u.s u.s science fiction writer amazing amazing science fiction writer as well i know a lot of your listeners probably know him because he's pretty famous there was actually a tv show that came out quite recently based on 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 his novel mm-hmm. um and I guess to finalize this, I give you two two other names, and that's philosophy. It's going to be Kant, the person that revolutionized philosophy, changed the way we see things and feel things and know things. Uh, Kant and uh, Wittgenstein, just because the other big thing that I'm interested in philosophy is philosophy of language. Uh, and that 
ties closely to both programming because it's also languages. It's how we syntactically, syntactically structure things, think about things. So Wittgenstein, also a big revolutionary guy that if anybody's interested in philosophy, you, you got to know those two names, Wittgenstein and Kant. Have you read Sapiens? Great book. Okay. I, I figured if you haven't, you'd probably really enjoy it if you like those. Great book. <laughs> Anything that has words in it and that makes sense, uh, that has a message, I don't give, I don't care about the message. If it has a message and it's structured clearly and it gives you some sort of enjoyment, it's a good book. Read it. Okay. Well, Arkady, thank you, thank you for your time. Uh, I just want to leave you with the opportunities. What is the, what's the best way for our viewers to get in touch with you and follow you along your journey? If that's something they'd like to do. Um, I'm trying to get more into social media. Okay. I'm trying to get into Twitter. That's a big goal of mine. Uh, hopefully you'll be, be able to find me there soon. I mean, Instagram, uh, Facebook, you can find me anywhere. Uh, my email is pretty easy to guess. That's the name of my company and my name. So you can always email me if you really want to, if you want to discuss anything. I'm extremely open. Any, any, if anybody's, I don't know, get, trying to get into remote collaboration, wants to just discuss their product or anything, feel free to email me. I'm always open and I'll try to make it work. Sounds good. Well, thanks again for your time. Thank you, David. Have a great day.